Can you take out your Bibles and open them to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1? While you're turning there, I just uh, I had a thought, just wanted to remind us of this, that uh, when we go through our prayer confession, so as, as Steve was leading us this morning, keep in mind that what he's doing, he's leading us, and uh, a good way for that to become that much more meaningful for us is as we listen to what he says, we then are praying what he's praying, but we're praying it for ourselves. So when he was talking about how uh, he was talking about confessing to the Lord our lust, and if we were to begin to itemize all the things that we lust for, we would be here, I'm paraphrasing, uh, for a long time. The idea is, you know, is, is yes, Lord, I know that, I, I know I do that, and so I bring that to mind. And, and uh, maybe there's some things he mentioned that you haven't had a problem with, or what you might say is, Lord, I'm, I don't want to do that if I've done that. If I've taken you lightly, if you've not been central in my thoughts, please reveal that to me. You know, the idea is, is to review our life as he leads us through that uh, in coming clean before the Lord uh, because our desire, again, is to, is to walk with the Lord, uh, to walk in the Lord clean and to confess to him those things that, that uh, we do wrong. And I think that, that to remind ourselves to do that, that we don't just, you know, you can't just pray your own prayer, but I think the idea is that we are doing this collectively and that person is leading us in those thoughts uh, as we examine our lives and perhaps sometimes when that happens, we end up, uh, thinking of some things that we probably uh, or maybe would not have thought of before in reference to the way that we live life and how we relate that to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your graciousness and kindness and goodness. We thank you, Father, again for this time of the year that we are able to set aside really a, a month and to focus on Christ and the coming of Christ and why Christ came into the world. Lord, we are really not only celebrating, Lord, the birth of Christ, but it's just another way to celebrate our salvation, to celebrate your goodness and your gift to us, and we are grateful. As a Father, we ask as we continue to look at the life of Mary, we ask, Father, that you would instruct us in the ways of righteousness. We pray, Lord, you would help us to love righteousness and to love holiness, that, Father, we would pursue those things to honor you. As always, we are grateful that we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to read what is normally called or is often called Mary's Song. Again, remember that Mary, most likely somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16 when all this is going on, my personal belief is she was closer to 14 or was 14, which makes what she says here extraordinary. We were talking about spirituality last week, and the idea was to use Mary uh, as an example uh, helping us to understand what is spirituality, uh, what it means to be spiritual, how to, how to become spiritual. And so we're going, to keep, we're going to keep looking at that. And then as we do, keep in mind again her age, because we, again, sometimes we, I don't think we expect enough of our young, of our children who are Christians. We, we, we should expect more, not in a demanding way, uh, not that we're trying for them to, to come be measured as super saints, but the idea, this is the norm. This, this is normal. What, what we see here with Mary, it may have been unusual because many people uh, at that time were not as spiritually minded, but this is normal. This is a girl who was raised uh, by parents who obviously had, obviously had a very strong uh, faith in the Lord. She was very familiar with the Old Testament uh, and then the implications of all the information that's in there. She, was, she really had a, a pretty well-developed theology, which which doesn't require an academic 
kind of setting. It, it's a very natural thing uh, that kind of develops as we are exposed to the Word of God. And then, of course, the idea is for you and I to think in the same way, to, to, to be spiritually minded in that sense. So beginning in verse 46 of chapter 1, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So two things we're going to look at this morning, and the first one is this, is that as Mary exemplifies really biblical spirituality, she had in her mind a recognition of God's gracious working throughout history. And what you'll hear me talk a lot about this morning is this idea that Mary was not thinking in terms necessarily of just an individual. She was thinking about herself, but she wasn't solely thinking in terms of that. When this event takes place, when the angel speaks to her and then and told that she's going to become pregnant, she's going to carry the Christ child, the anointed one, and she goes to see uh, Elizabeth and, and, and they get together and, and they talk about what's going on. She is, she is thinking, I guess you could say holistically. She's thinking in a much broader way. When it comes to Christianity, Christianity is distinguished among all the different faiths of the worlds and all the different philosophies because of its, it's really a very bold belief that God is present in human history, that God is he's here, that God is active in human history. He's not far away, where he just kind of wound things up and just watches, watches how things play out. But he's very intimately involved in what's going on. We believe as Christians that God is intimately involved in your life and my life on a daily basis. Just looking at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is in his sovereignty, has guaranteed us that you and I would never be tempted beyond our ability to resist. Now, our ability to resist in that passage is not dependent upon our strength, is as we depend upon him. But the idea there is that if there is something out there or some things out there that you truly cannot resist, God in his sovereignty is guaranteeing you won't be tempted to do that. You make sure of it. And when you are tempted, whatever that temptation is, he's promised us that he will provide a way of escape. He's promised that. So God is intimately involved in our lives on a regular basis. That is not how people speak about their religions or about their philosophies of life. In the Old Testament, we see that Israel insisted that God is sovereign in ruling the world through historical events, regardless of what was happening to Israel. They believed in that. And so there's this idea of remembrance that is very strong here in the life of Mary. Just as God remembers Israel, so Israel is called to remember God. There's a theology of remembrance, I guess, if you want to call it that. That's developed. And it's based on this frequent appeal. We have this in, in the book of Deuteronomy. Eight times this phrase is mentioned 
Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. There's always that remember, remember, remember. As they would go through the stories of the Bible, it's remember. As they would talk about the Old Testament, it's remember. When they have all the various rituals they go through, it's remember. Later this afternoon, we have a, you know, our annual Christmas Eve service is a communion service. That whole service is about what? Remembering. Remember Christ was born. Remember what that meant. Remember what that was for. When we partake of communion, it's a ceremony of remembrance. Remember what he went through. Remember the pain and the torture. Remember the theological reasons why that had to take place. Remember his death. Remember his burial. And of course, remember his resurrection. It is a theology of remembrance. And that's very strong throughout the scripture. The purpose of remembrance here in the book of Deuteronomy is seen. Israel is called to carefully follow every command from God so that she might live and prosper in the promised land. So the call to obedience is related to Israel's historical memory. Remember what happened to our people here when we disobeyed. Remember what happened. Remember how God delivered us when we returned to the Lord. That's the idea that is here. So historical memory serves to establish a continuity between each new generation and the decisive events of the past. Again, as Israel observed, the Sabbath, it was not just merely a psychological recollection of God's redemptive acts, but it was a participation again in the Exodus event. The Passover offered the opportunity for later generations to participate in God's redemptive history. The call for Israel, uh, Israel's remembrance of God, is the same with, again, her call for obedience. Over and over, the psalmists inspire and the prophets admonish the people to remember that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So the act of remembering serves to actualize the past for a generation that's removed in time from those formal events in order that they themselves can have an intimate encounter with the great acts of redemption. So we can say it this way. Remembrance equals participation. When, again, when we remember the Lord's table, what are we also being reminded of? The Lord Jesus died for my sins. It's my sin that put him on the cross. He was tortured because of me. Because God's love for me, God's desire to have a relationship with me, my sin had to be dealt with. Christ, God sent Christ to be my substitute. And so I, I participate in that sense uh, of what took place. And so I'm to remember that in that way. So it's, you, I guess you could call it theological remembrance. When you read through the song that Mary recites here, or that Mary authors, she, re she receives news from Gabriel concerning the divine conception in terms with which she could readily identify. So when the Annunciation is, is made, what she's going to remember is the miraculous births to those matriarchs in the past uh, of Israel's history. Because her birth, the, the, her, not her birth, but what she's going to give birth to, the Christ child, it's a miraculous birth. So she sees this connection of God's involvement in her life and God's involvement in her faith and in the history of Israel. She is told that her child will be given the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow her. A sign is given to her, which in part is Elizabeth's pregnancy. Nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel's proclamation rings with allusions to God's previous action in Israel's history. 
We, we can even think of our own salvation in that sense. That, that it, there's this connection we have to all those who've come before us who become believers in Christ. Who, where the gospel was shared with them and their lives were transformed as they placed faith in Christ. Because Mary is steeped in Old Testament history, she is prepared to receive even cryptic revelation concerning her child and her child's identity and mission. Remember, when she hears all of these things, she's not questioning Gabriel as to what do you mean he's going to sit on the throne of his father David? What do you mean his kingdom, there'll be no end? What do you mean by that? She knew. She understood that. When you and I look at the world around us, we, we need to bring an understanding that comes from our understanding of Scripture. We're able to interpret what's going on and understand it. Maybe not perfectly, but, but we are guided by the Word of God. That's why we need to be immersed in the Word of God on a regular basis. It needs to be a regular part of our diet so we can think God's thoughts after Him. So we can have an understanding of events in our life. So we have even the simple understanding that in our life, nothing happens by accident. All is orchestrated by God. And when we remember how God has used people in our lives to bring us to Him, God seeks to use us in the lives of others to bring people to Him. So that's why we have, you know, there's certain things that we should be thinking. You never meet anyone by accident. There is a reason why the God of heaven has caused you and this person's paths to cross. In fact, there's probably many reasons why he's done that. And so and we need to be thinking in those terms and not just thinking in terms, again, only of ourselves and what does it mean to me. Not only is Mary ready to receive this remarkable news, she's ready to respond to it. In other words, what she knows about the Old Testament is not just some history thing she knows. It's not like, oh yeah, I've read the, the, the Israeli version of the, historic, of the history uh, of the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's not what she's thinking. She has personalized all these things. She understands, really, her role in God's redemptive plan. She just didn't know it was going to be this prominent. Right? So she's not thinking arrogantly. She's not thinking, oh, I'm, I'm the one. She sees herself as being blessed, and, and she's humbled by this. But she's ready to receive this because she knows God. And she understand how, understands how God works. She recognized God's gracious working throughout history and that allowed her to absorb the startling reality of her blessedness and then to celebrate it in the context of God's continued redemption on Israel's behalf. This hymn of praise here reflects how deeply God's mighty deeds have penetrated her soul and shaped her worldview. She recognizes God's action on behalf of Israel and the dramatic reversals he accomplished on behalf of the poor and the oppressed and, the, and, and like the faithful remnant that she represents. She, regal, she recalls God's covenantal promise to Abraham as the basis for her hope for the future. She's fully aware that her present experience is not an isolated incident, but it's part of the narrative flow of God's remembrance of Israel. So Mary's song then is not just merely a recital of historic events, She's not some bystander that's just observing the course of Israel's progression as though overlooking a river that rushes by. No, she steps into the flow of events and she is swept into the swift current of God's redemptive purposes. Likewise, we are to do the same thing. We are invited to look back at what God has done for our great-grandparents by faith and to open our lives to all the possibilities inherent in the adventure of faith. When you think about your salvation, when I think about mine, you know, my, my mom, she worked on a, uh, 
uh, genealogy on both my dad's side and her side. And it was really cool to see who was the first Dimmit to come across from Europe to America. He was a French Huguenot. He was running away from the Catholic Church because they wanted to kill the Huguenots. And that's how we got here. And you can trace through that. She goes through all the history of the individuals, and you sometimes, you know, there's, there's no pictures of him because it was 1600s. But, you know, later on, you know, when pictures were being developed, you can see past family members, and you can see which ones were believers, what churches they belonged to. And you can see how, how God has, has worked through this family and how the family expands. And, and in my thought, the way I'm interpreting this is when it came down to my dad's family, when he was born, you know, his family, they went to, they went to church. I, I don't know if there was, I, I think my, his parents ended up becoming believers in their 70s. They went to church, they would have considered themselves Christians. But in his family, he was really the first one to come to know Christ. It was almost as if everything was going to be lost in that generation. That's all it takes. And, and, and the Lord got a hold of my dad, and he, he became a very strong believer. And I can see how God worked in his life and how it's almost as if God then started anew. And so when you look at the offspring, you look at my dad's children, which I'm one of them, and then his grandchildren, great grandchildren, see all the ones who, who know Christ and how that, that, that flow began again. It's really cool to see all of that. And so we, what we see is, is God working the lives of different people and the different places they go and the different decisions they make and how all that kind of coalesced with, with the plan of God and the will of God and bringing people to himself. You, know, you may be a part of that or you may be the beginning or a new beginning in your family. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, beginning in verse 1, it says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. He calls it to Israel to recall their past and to look where they came from, and it was this one guy. And because of this one guy's faith and his faithfulness, the, those alive when Isaiah was speaking to them were part of a nation of God's chosen people where God had made a covenant with their forefather to bless them and to watch over them and to protect them and, and to give them special privileges, you know, because they had, as it says in Hebrews, the oracles of God, and in Romans as well, the oracles of God, and, and they were to be God's people. Now, they, they didn't do real good in obeying God, but there was a lot of blessings that were there, all coming back from there. And so everything that they were as a people was rooted in, in this history. We need to recognize that what we believe today, what we know today is rooted, not only going all the way back to the Old Testament, when you just go through Christian history and you go through all the various things that were going on in Europe hundreds of years ago, all those were things that were being done where God, where God was guiding and directing individuals, part of the purpose of all of that was for you and for me, so that we would be where we are today, to know the things that we know, to be blessed in the way that we are blessed. Who knew? God knew the whole time. So we are not just individuals who by ourselves suddenly got a revelation and we became saved and it's all, it's all about us as, as the individuals, it's about us as a group and about our families. Mary's awareness of salvation history allows her to become ready and, and a willing participant in the continued unfolding of the history. And so we have the same need for our Christianity today, for our Christian faith 
to remain grounded in historical revelation. We do not believe what we believe because someone had a dream. We don't believe what we believe because someone had a vision. That's not why we believe anything. It is rooted in the history, in human history, God's history, and God's intervening in his creation. And as a result of that, we, we, our faith is well grounded in truth, in fact, not some whimsical thoughts of some individual who suddenly felt enlightened one day. God is always the God of history. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the father of Jesus Christ. Christianity can never escape its partnership in history. So when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating an event in what? In history. An actual person who was born in an actual town at an actual time. Probably sometime between 5 and 6 B.C. was when Jesus was born. All those things really did happen. There's evidence for all of that. Sometimes individuals may be tempted to seek a direct path to God through inner religious experience. When we speak of God and revelation, we often mean events which occur in the privacy of our personal inner life or what we feel to be basic in our moral conscience. But what we discover is this. When it comes to visions, mysterious feelings, senses of reality, knowledge of duty and worth, those can be interpreted in many ways. What cannot be interpreted in many ways is, is history, the reality of who God is and what he's done for us. We have really sinned. We really were separated from God. God really does have a solution. Man can never earn his way back to God. It is an impossibility. We will never have enough works to outdo our bad. That, that's an impossibility. It cannot be done. God knows that. God in his graciousness established a plan to how he was going to redeem us and bring us back to himself. How he was going to save us from our sin, from that separation. So he sent Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who was born of flesh. That, that's, what, that's the facts of what took place. This God-man lived a perfect life. He never even had a sinful thought. He never had a sinful, spontaneous response to anything. Everything he said was measured. Everything he, he said was, and did was, was rooted and steeped in the perfect will of God's righteous will. And then he offered himself up to be sacrificed. That was proven when they came to arrest him. When they came to arrest him, he, he stepped up and said, who are you looking for? He said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And then he said, I am he. Boom, they all fall down. And that's a group of six to 800 men and soldiers. What that shows us clearly is who's in charge? It's not them. They got up again. And Jesus allowed them to arrest him. They thought they were doing it. I always wondered if any of them ever tried to figure out why they all fell down. Because that, that, that's pretty funny in one sense. But that, wasn't, that issue wasn't brought, at least it's not in the scripture. But he, but he was in charge. And he allowed them to torture him. And again, all those things are, are done in history. This is, again, it's not a vision. It's not some mystical feeling that we get. It's rooted in reality. When you read the Song of Mary, it begins with a note of praise and thanksgiving. Her opening words are not the occasion for private reflection about herself and her subjective experience of God. Instead, her experience of God is understood and interpreted in terms of God's faithful actions throughout history. One pastor says this, The gospel is never for individuals, but is always for a people. Sin fragments us, separates us, and sentences us to solitary confinement. 
Now, the gospel restores us, unites us, and sets us in community. The life of faith revealed and nurtured in the biblical narrative is highly personal, but it is never merely individual. Always there is a family, a tribe, and a nation, a church. Biblical spirituality calls for the recognition that God is present and active in human history, preeminently in the earthy, earthly and ongoing ministry of the risen Christ. It insists that God remembers his people, thereby acting towards them according to his redemptive purposes. When you speak to your children your grandchildren, and you can talk to them about how you met your wife or how you met your husband, I certainly hope you don't think that it was just some kind of accident. That was arranged by God. You want to give them the proper perspective. This is what God did. This is how this happened. When I met Cindy, the good news is we didn't date right away because she would have never married me if we had. But it was the providence of God that caused her dad, who was in the Coast Guard, to move to Hawaii, where I lived. Those of you who don't know me, I had a very rough childhood growing up in Hawaii. It's tough living in 80-degree weather every day. But anyway, nonetheless, someone had to do it. But, and then it just so happened they moved right next door to a man who was a pilot in the military who went to our church and invited them to church. God was orchestrating all of that. And so, so we met. We went to the same church for years. And so we knew each other. God did all of that. But then I could add, but God prevented us from dating. It was not a good idea because dad was still kind of a fool. And I was just, everything, all of life was a joke to me. That's not a good thing, by the way. Uh, that's how I treated everyone and everything. And when I became, at least started to get a little serious, you know, we graduated from high school, she went off to college in California, and lo and behold, she ends up coming back to Hawaii, and boom, that's when it happened. That's when we started the date. I, we, I want my kids to know, my grandkids, that's what God did. Because that's how they came along. Who knows what could have happened through all the different events that took place in between, but those things didn't happen. It happened this way. And we see God's graciousness in everything that is done. When it came to my salvation, I was blessed to be born in a Christian family. But there are many individuals born in a Christian family that don't come to know Christ. And so I can explain how the Lord used my family. And even though I was very young, 10 or 11, when I came to know Christ, by the time I heard the gospel being, in a sense, formally being presented, I'm listening to something that I already knew was true. He was telling me nothing new. I knew all of that. But then I was pressed and asked if I wanted to, to place my faith in Christ. Did I believe those things to be absolutely true? And of course, I, I said, of like there's almost as a, of course, yes, I, I know these things are true. So everything in our life is rooted in those things. We, wanna, we want that perspective to permeate our lives as individuals. And then also on a much broader scale, along with that is when it comes to not only those who have influenced our family and, and us, but also how we influence others for the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is part of God's plan of redemption. Yes, he has a plan of redemption for Israel, but also for the church and for all these Gentiles he's bringing in. And for us, we are part of that group. And God is using us in that way so that there will be that fulfillment of the scripture that says that there will be people from all tribes, tongues, and nations that will bow before the Lord and praise his name. And we are part of that. The second thing is, is that Mary was receptive to God's grace. 
The scripture begins with the most important words ever in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. Out of the emptiness and void, God created. Out of chaos, God brought order. Out of darkness, God brought light. Out of the dust of the earth, God created humankind. From the very inception of the universe, it is God who creates, God who establishes, God who calls forth order and life and beauty and meaning. And it is God who initiates relationship with the human creatures. God has handcrafted in his own image and to whom God has imparted his own life of breath, which is us. When the intimacy of that relationship was violated by human disobedience, God still comes to Adam and Eve with the most important question ever asked, where are you? Even when the image of God is rolled in the dust, as a consequence of the fall, God relentlessly pursues his most prized creatures and moves them back into relationship with himself. We sometimes as individuals may have a similar story. Not all of us are going to have that story, but some of us will have the story where we, maybe we knew the gospel and we went our own way anyway. And how God did not give up on us. How maybe you had a few occasions where you had brushes with death. God spared you from that because you would not have made it to heaven if you had died at that point in time. God spared you. And we can talk about how God pursued us in that way and how God is pursuing our children and our grandchildren to come to him. The remainder of biblical history is essentially the story of, of man's response to God's initial question. Where humans respond to God's initiative simply affirming, here I am, in transparency and trust, there is opportunity for God to recreate, to redeem, and to bless. When humans resort to hiding from God, there is deterioration back into the void, dark chaos, and cold emptiness. Mary of Nazareth could have hidden like Adam. She could have been hard-hearted like Pharaoh. Uh, or she could have heeded God's message like Isaiah and reply, here I am. And that's what she chose. Her choice forever altered human history. Her words remain the epitome of trusting submission. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. The fact that Mary willingly complied with Gabriel's announcement reveals that she was also receptive to God's intervention in her whole life. We need to be receptive to God's intervention in our own life, whatever that is. My favorite preacher was Martin, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a medical doctor in England in the early 1900s. And he was not only a successful doctor, he was really reverenced by many people. They, they had great respect for his skills as a doctor. Now, he was a very strong believer as well. And, and many even thought that he would be groomed to be the king's physician, which is a, a high position of honor. And one day he announced he was no longer going to practice medicine. That he believed that God had called him to preach. And people thought he was nuts. There were those who thought he needed, that he'd had a psychological breakdown because of all the things that he, that he was going to be giving up. To him, that was nothing. God was intervening in his life and setting him on a different path. And he, was, he graciously received what God's appointment in his life. Biblical spirituality necessarily does involve two things. One, God's gracious intervention in our lives and our receptivity to that. Jesus points out in the parable of the sower, the initiative for a faith relationship rests on God who graciously disperses his word as a sower casts seed. Yet faith will not come to fruition unless it finds fertile conditions within our lives. So this young girl from Galilee, 
provides a portrait of that mysterious process of spiritual germination. Mary is often viewed as a passive recipient to the message, but she was also very active. She was an active instrument in reaching out to embrace the source of her new life calling. Her receptivity to God, to God's initiative, found fertile ground. And as one person said, her tender faith flourished in the sudden burst of God's light. His revelation, which comes with his revelation, which came with Gabriel's announcement. So consequently, Mary is a graphic example of biblical spirituality. It incorporates divine initiative and human instrumentality. The potential miracle, the divine conception, becomes realized through her compliance with God's purpose. In the same way, our spiritual growth is only possible as we submit to God's word and ways. Otto Piper, not John, Otto Piper explains this in this way. Just as in the virgin birth, the divine feat would not have succeeded except for the ascent given to it by Mary and Joseph and the acts of faith, so it is with the new birth. Divine and human activity do not lie on the same level, for it is God who takes the initiative. But apart from it, no miracle for it would happen. But in order to become a historical event, the divine purpose needs human beings who are prepared to offer themselves to God as instruments. By means of faith, man is enabled to become God's fellow worker. So by God's grace, and I thought this was really cool, and so I copied this out from a Puritan from a long time ago. He said this, The Spirit hovered over the waters, bringing creation out of chaos. By God's grace, the Spirit hovered over Mary, bringing God life to the virgin, to the virgin void within her. And by God's grace, the same Spirit hovers over the broken fragments of our lives and redeems us so we cry out, Abba, Father, in a new relationship of intimacy. So Mary's receptivity to God's gracious work in her life, she reveals two great truths that are important, and we'll close with these two things. Number one, she was prepared to receive God in expected ways. Her grounding in biblical history allowed her to assess and to exalt in Gabriel's news according to covenant to covenant theology and messianic expectation. She was able to recognize God's faithfulness because she was well acquainted with God's ways. What greater incentive is there for us to cry out to God like Moses did in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 13, where he says, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. This is why not only do we need to be steeped in the word of God, Again, our children and grandchildren need to be steeped in the Word of God so they will recognize God's voice and God's ways. We don't want them to be deceived by all the charlatans that are out there, and there are many. How do we prevent them from doing that? We just can't teach them to be tough-minded. We can't just teach them how they should think for themselves. Those are good things. But they need to be rooted in the truth of the Word of God so they become familiar with God and familiar with God's ways. And when that takes place, then they're able to respond to God as God works in their lives, really in expected ways. There is no substitute for becoming increasingly acquainted with God in the ways of God, as God has always revealed himself. God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through biblical revelation. And God reveals himself ultimately in the life of Jesus. Through his people of yesterday and today, and through a lifetime of friendship and prayer, God reveals himself. And so Mary shows us how to anticipate God's work in expected ways. But not only does she show us that, she also shows us how to remain open to him uh, acting in unexpected ways. There was no precedent for God to announce his presence in Nazareth. It was a town of the Gentiles. 
and certainly not to address an ordinary Jewish girl as being highly favored. Nor was there any inkling whatsoever that God would surprise his people with the gift of his own son, a God-man born of a virgin. How are we to grow in such receptivity to God? Mary's genuine humility is a fundamental prerequisite for biblical faith. She typifies God's promise to exalt, to exalt the humble. When it, the story I just told you, the brief story of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his humility was a major part of that because it would be his ego who would resist the call of God to go into ministry. In fact, the, the denominations had no idea what to do to him. He just said, just send me anywhere. You can even send me, you can even send me to a podunk town somewhere uh, until you figure it out, and that's exactly what they did. And they sent him to an old mining town out in the middle of nowhere where he taught the word of God. And God blessed his ministry in incredible ways. It was unbelievable what happened in his life. He was a humble man. He wasn't concerned about what other people thought about him. All he was concerned about was what God thought about him. For Mary, you know, she was, she'd be facing a lot of really negativity. You know, a 14-year-old woman who's not, who's not uh, married, being pregnant, that's a big deal in Israel during those days. She would have been ostracized. When, when, if it was the custom for her to go out and get water for her family, she would not be able to go to the well in the cool of the early morning because the women, the women would have not allowed that. The women of the village would have pushed her away. She would have had the gone like when the prostitutes go in the heat of the day when no one else was there. It could have been that, that, she, would have been, that she would have been the talk of the town where everybody's talking bad about you and what kind of a scoundrel you are, that you're basically scum, that you brought shame to your family, to your parents, to your grandparents, and so on and so forth. She was facing all of that, yet she still willingly accepted the promise of God. Humility opens our hearts and enables us to acknowledge the truth of who we are and who God is. Humility withstands the arrogant tendency to reduce the world to our purposes. Among the relatively few New Testament references to Mary, Luke mentions twice that she treasured and pondered the events in her heart. She was quietly attentive, attentive to God, to what he was doing in her midst. In the same way, we are to cultivate that kind of attentiveness if we desire to perceive God's presence in our midst. Mary shows us what it is to be receptive to God in the ordinariness of our everyday affairs. Tradition has it that Gabriel came to her as she drew water at the well. After the Annunciation, she promptly set off to visit Elizabeth. Before long, she would face more and more arduous journeys. Uh, she would travel to Bethlehem and then to Jerusalem, then to Egypt, then later back to Nazareth. And there her days would be filled with domestic duties obligatory upon any Jewish mother. She didn't go back there and set herself up in a palace where she had several servants serving her because she was the mother of our Lord. No, she was the mother of our Lord. She was cooking. She was cleaning. She was doing all those things that needed to be done. Despite all the activity, she attends to God and she stands ready for God to intervene in her life. She was open to being interrupted, not only having her day interrupted, but her whole life forever changed in this most startling way. So in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life, she remained open and pliable to the prompting of her God. You see, the spiritual life is not a life before, after, or beyond our everyday existence. The spiritual life can only be real when it is lived in the midst of the pains and joys of the here and now. So it is not some exalted place you want to get to to lead the spiritual life. You lead and you live the spiritual life in the midst of 
cleaning the toilets, cleaning the floors, doing the laundry, taking care of the yard, going to work, all those things that you do. We live the life that God has called us to in the midst of all of that. Biblical spirituality requires a receptivity to God manifesting his presence in our own life. It responds to God's gracious initiative in asking us, where are you? And we have a simple, trusting openness that says, here I am. Vigilant availability will allow for God to act in both expected and unexpected ways. Not presuming the possible, but daring to believe God, the God of the impossible. And so when we look on the history of things, Mary's life, who knew that this girl, when she was a little baby, was going to be the mother of our Lord? But God knew that. And she was in part prepared for that, even by her parents and by her attentiveness to the Old Testament, to the Word of God. She absorbed it and she learned it and she believed it and she trusted. Martin Lloyd-Jones ended up being an incredible preacher who touched the lives of literally millions of people through his life. Well, that began with his parents and how they raised him. Somewhere along the way, he got a great love for the Word of God, a great way of seeing it where he developed the gifts that God had given him, not only to, to, to get his degree in medicine, but he brought that same gift of observation to the Word of God and allowed him to teach it in ways that opened up the Word of God and gave understanding to so many people. Who is this going to reach your children, your grandchildren? Well, it's going to be you, but also other individuals that God has blessed in their lives using their gifts and talents. And we pray that God will be influential in the lives of our children and grandchildren through these other people. I would love to pastor my grandchildren. I'm not by any of them. But I pray for their pastor. When, I, when my kids tell me about church, I want to hear about their church. I want to hear about the pastor. I want to hear about what's being taught. I want to hear about how it's being communicated. I want to know what they're getting. And if, and if they're getting these things from a solid individual, I feel I've, uh, I'm, I, I can rest easy at night. There's no turmoil about where they're going to church and what they're doing. I am pleased by that. I want these individuals to influence my children because I want my people, my family, to know God. And I want other people to know God. And so we should be thinking the same way. So this lady, this lady, Mary of Nazareth, this 14-year-old child that was called by God to be the mother of our Lord is truly an incredible example of an unbelievably strong, spiritually mature, spiritually thinking close to God individual with a humble heart and a willingness to do whatever he called her to do. And that's all that God's called you and me to do. To say, here I am. I'm willing to do whatever you want. Whatever it is. And it doesn't matter what others may think about me. It doesn't even matter if other people even think about me. I want to be open to be used by God. And because all of us are a part of that great plan of redemption as God saves a people for himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you, Lord, for Mary. We find, Lord, that she was truly an incredible person. Her depth of spiritualness may put us to shame. Probably does. Many of us, Father, have taken decades to come to a point that we could even think a little bit the way that she thought. Father, we pray that you would not allow us to wallow in the misery of our own failure, but to trust you and to renew our commitment to you, to be used by you in the lives of others, in the lives of our family, 
the lives of our neighbors, and the lives of those that we work with, and whoever else you bring into our life. Forgive us, Father, being cowards and being afraid or timid. Help us, Father, to open up and begin to share with others what you have done for us, as well as what we know about the history of Jesus Christ. Because, Father, the history of Christ is not just the historical facts that he lived, but who he was. That the perfect God-man was born on Christmas Day. And that he came to save his people from their sin. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful story. We thank you, Father, for the transformation that's brought about in our lives. And, Father, we do pray, as we always do, for those who may not know Christ. The Lord, they would re-examine the history of this great story and realize that it is not a story like a fable of once upon a time there was a poor man and a poor woman who lived in Palestine many years ago. No, it's much different than that. Indeed, they were poor and it was a long time ago, but it was real. And they were chosen by you to bring about the, the chain of events that would change all of history. So, Father, we thank you for that. We know, Lord, that maybe our lives may not change history at all. But our lives can change the history of those in our family. It can change the history of those that we meet. In fact, our lives, the history of our lives, is changed by those believers you brought in our life. Help us, Father. Give to us a strong desire to want to be a part of the redemptive plan of God as you've laid out for mankind. Thank you, Father, for those who played that part in our lives. We thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.